0: Warning Some of the topics in this episode include violence, murder, and domestic violence. If you find these topics to be triggering, then this may not be the episode for you. Proceed with caution, and as always, welcome to Humble Hauntings. You are about to enter the world of humble hauntings, but first, a message from our friends at Straight Up Enigmas.
1: Ted Bundy murdered my dad's friend in 1974 while on his reign of terror in Utah. At least, Bundy admitted to killing her just before his execution, but police were never able to locate her body. That's the topic of just one episode on Straight Up Enigmas, a podcast to explore the unexplained. Spine-tingling supernatural stories, historical mysteries, and true crime cases are all things to expect when you tune in to our show we discuss the impossible murder of Julia Wallace, share terrifying true stories from our listeners about sleep paralysis, and explore Cleopatra's lost tomb. I'm Jaden McKell and I'm the host of Straight Up Enigmas. Our bite-sized bi-weekly episodes focus on the world's strangest mysteries. Sacred and sonic geometry, the mistress of Murder Farm, Turkmenistan's Door to Hell, the curse of the horror film The Omen, and much more. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts.
0: And now for today's story. She's here. We'll let her in. I have everything ready. You can go take a cat nap after that. Don't worry, she adores humans. Just keep quiet and bow when she enters. I wouldn't look at her for too long, though. She likes to collect your kind, and her glamours are very powerful. You'll be wrapped around her finger in a heartbeat. Just avoid too much eye contact, and you'll be fine. And whatever you do... Don't mention the monster following you. We will find a way to stop it, but it is not wise to be in the dead of a fairy.
1: My dear old friend, it has been too long.
0: Your majesty, it's an honor to see you again. It's been too long indeed.
1: I've been looking forward to our tea for ages now. I'm glad to hear it. When you didn't respond to my letter, I was worried you had forgotten. What?
0: Me? Forget our tea? (laughs) Never. Please, sit, sit. We have a lot of catching up to do.
1: Why, thank you. And who is this charming individual? Well, this is
0: Arcane's latest mystery. You can call him the captain. We are still working on the name.
1: How lovely. I do love an enigma, and seafaring folk are a passionate bunch. They've been a great help in the esoteric library. Seems to have a real gift for it. That's wonderful. Please, I would love to hear tales of my people. Humans tell such wonderful stories. Fetch a good book and let's listen to some. What do you say? Captain, the
0: face section is just there on the left. Take your pick. The changeling. That's a good one. Well done.
1: Splendid. Let us begin. The Fair Folk, the Fae, or, as you may know them, Fairies. These beings can be found in countless stories around the world. Tinkerbell, from the story of Peter Pan, Queen Mab, who's mentioned in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, Along with many other pieces of literature and poetry, and, of course, the enchanting fairy godmother in the tale of Cinderella, are just a few of the mythical beings who have sprinkled their fairy dust across time and flown their way into pop culture. Humans love tales of fairies, the good and the bad. But what is a fairy? By definition, a fairy is a class of supernatural beings, many of which take on a diminutive human form and possess magical powers which they sometimes use to intervene or meddle in human affairs. They are associated with magic, nature, and sometimes even the spirit world. Many are said to be tricksters and troublemakers, though some have a fondness for humans and have been known to help them on occasion.
0: Now tales of fairies and fairy-like creatures can be found in some of the most ancient civilizations. Looking back at Mayan mythology, for example, we have the Alushas. Alushas are little imp-like creatures who are often invisible to the human eye. They typically wear small hats and sandals, carry a tiny shotgun, and are often accompanied by a little fairy-sized dog. These Mayan elves enjoy many activities such as hunting and playing tricks on humans. You can always tell when the Alushas are hunting their invisible game by the sounds of tiny barking and gunfire. When they are feeling mischievous, they will often throw rocks at humans and make fun of them. Some will tease household pets, while others break into homes at night and turn everything upside down. When alucius are feeling especially spiteful, they cause a person to fall ill with a single touch. But these creatures also have a helpful side. They are especially receptive to those who offer gifts of food or small trinkets. When one does bestow a gift on the alucius, they are granted protection. The imps will watch over their homes and fields and punish any intruders or thieves with a beating. They will also replenish any stolen fruit taken from someone's orchard. While the Alushas remain alive in the stories told from Mayan mythology, it is said that they no longer exist on Earth. Some believe that these creatures were bathing in the rain and were all struck by lightning, causing them to disappear
1: forever. The Xana is much like the nymphs and Nixies of legend. They are small, beautiful women in appearance with long, flowing hair they brush with combs made from sun or moonbeams. They stay by the water and admire their reflections, singing hauntingly beautiful songs that draw humans to them. If one is pure of heart, this song will fill you with absolute bliss. But if you are one of the wicked souls of the earth, the song of the Xana will drive you mad. The Xana are thieves by nature. They often live in caves where they guard their hoard of stolen gold and silver. Many hopeful adventurers have sought out these treasures though none have lived to tell the tale. Besides stealing gold and jewels, the Xana are especially gifted at stealing human babies. They do this by sneaking in a human dwelling, through the keyhole using their magic. Once inside, they replace the human babe with one of their own and then escape with the human child this offspring swapping practice is one that is commonplace among the fair folk and you may be familiar with the name of the fey child that is left behind amongst the humans they are known as a changeling changelings were considered an ill omen the human child
0: they were exchanged with was typically taken for one of three reasons for revenge for the opportunity to be loved and adored by a human child, or to be raised as a servant to fairies. In many cases, the child was swapped out for a fairy babe, though sometimes an enchanted object such as a log or a rock with a fairy glamour placed on it was used instead. On some occasions, the human child was even replaced with an elderly fairy, either to die or to live out the remaining days being cared for by humans. Because fairies were said to desire the more fair traits of humans, it was said that the most beautiful children were the ones in danger of being taken. In medieval times, people's understanding of medicine and the human body were little to none. So when a child was born with certain conditions, illnesses, or deformities, this was usually determined to be the work of fairies. And the new parent's bundle of joy was not their baby at all, but a changeling. It was due to this belief that many of these babies were abandoned, or even killed. This was especially true for the peasant families during pre-industrial Europe. Poorer families were dependent on not only the parents working to provide for the household, but for the children to do their part as well and help the family. Therefore, if the parent felt like they could not care for the child in question, and the child could not contribute to the household, It was easier for them to believe that the babe was a fairy changeling and no child of theirs at all. It was a cruel and twisted justification for getting rid of these defenseless children. And unfortunately, it was quite common in the rural parts of medieval Europe. And whether parents really believed their child was a changeling, or they were simply determined to ease their own guilt, we may never know. But not all changelings were believed to be babies. Adults could be taken too as in the case of Bridget Cleary. Hello, MJ McAdams here. Today's tales will continue after a brief message from our sponsors. So stick around. More haunts are waiting for you just around the corner. Are you a witch or are you a fairy? Are you the wife of Michael Cleary? It's an old Irish nursery rhyme, and like most old nursery rhymes, the seemingly innocent words have a dark history. Our story begins in 1895. Bridget Cleary and her husband Michael Cleary were known around town as a fairly happy couple. Michael was a cooper. Who made a decent wage, and Bridget herself was a very resourceful and independent woman who made her own money by selling eggs and working as a seamstress. They lived in a cottage near Tipperary with Bridget's father, Patrick Boland. Together they were some of the more well-off people in town. Bridget was a woman before her time. She was independent, literate, and quite the fashionable young woman. Hard-working and intelligent, it was easy to see why the Clearies did so well for themselves. She was also fascinated by fairies, and would often visit spots around town that were supposed to be regular fairy stomping grounds. On Monday, March 4th, 1895, Bridget went alone to deliver some eggs to her father's cousin, Jack Dunn, who lived near Clinogranaw Hill. In this area was an early medieval circular settlement believed by the locals to be a fairy fort. For this reason, most avoided it at all costs. But not Bridget. She would often visit after her egg deliveries and was more fascinated than fearful of the place. It was an especially cold day, and after she got back home to her cottage, she couldn't seem to get warmed up. The following day, Bridget was bedridden and complaining of a horrible pain in her head. That Saturday, her father went out to get the doctor, but he wouldn't be able to see Bridget until the following Wednesday. The doctors informed them to let her rest, as it was most likely a case of nervous excitement and slight bronchitis. But even so, Bridget's husband Michael was not assured. In fact, he was beginning to believe that this wasn't his wife at all. Michael insisted that this Bridget was, quote, too fine to be his wife, and she was two inches taller than the real Bridget. With her fascination in fairies, and her frequent visits to the rumored fairy fort, Michael was convinced that what lay in he and his wife's bed was in fact a changeling. This matter wasn't helped at all by her father's cousin, Jack Dunn, who was well-versed in fairy lore and said to have the powers of divination on his side. The Wednesday evening after the doctor had already seen Bridget, a priest was called to administer the last rites in case Bridget took a nasty turn and didn't recover. It was at this point that Michael began to panic and turned to Dunn for advice. Dunn convinced him that his suspicions were true, and the woman lying in their bed was not his wife, but a fairy imposter. He told Michael that if he didn't act soon, the real Bridget would be lost to the fairies forever. Michael visited a fairy doctor soon after, who gave him an herbal mixture that he was to boil in fresh milk. That very night, as three cousins and Jack Dunn held her down, Michael forced the liquid down Bridget's throat. They screamed at her to drink it and to bring the real Bridget back home. Others outside the home overheard the whole ordeal but were too frightened to get involved. Michael then made Bridget answer to her name three times in a row, saying, Are you Bridget Boland, wife of Michael Cleary in the name of God? After this, the men held her over the fireplace as it was believed that fire drove away fairies and Bridget was questioned about her identity once more. At midnight, when Michael was satisfied the spell was complete, they stopped, though a female cousin of Bridget herself said, quote, she seemed wild and deranged from the ordeal. The next morning, a priest came and blessed every inch of the bedroom to ensure that no evil spirits were left behind. But poor Bridget's story does not end here. On March 15th, 11 days after Bridget was first bedridden, she got out of bed and dressed as her usual fashionable self. Michael and her had a few family members over for tea, and all seemed well. That is, until Bridget asked for some milk. Fresh milk was believed to be a favorite treat among the fairy folk, and this simple and innocent request sent Michael into another rage. He demanded that she eat three pieces of toast and jam while answering to her name. The first two bites she took with ease, but when she hesitated at the third piece of toast, Michael attacked her. He threw her to the ground, yelling, If you won't take it, down you will go. He shoved his knee into her chest and then forced the third piece of toast down her throat. Michael ripped her clothes and hit her over the head with a hot stick from the fireplace causing her to fall to the ground. Then, he set her on fire. She was burning in the middle of the floor in front of her family and Michael, who fed the flames by dousing her with lamp oil. The family members began to scream at Michael to put out the fire and help her, to which he replied, She's not my wife. She's an old deceiver sent in the place of my wife. They huddled in a corner and yelled for Michael to put out the fire and save Bridget. But Michael simply watched as the flames grew larger and larger until Bridget Cleary was no more. Once the flames died back down, Michael quickly gathered Bridget's remains, wrapping them in thin sheets and throwing them carelessly into a bag. Then he locked the family and the remains in the cottage and disappeared for some time. Upon returning, Michael demanded one of the family members, Bridget's cousin Patrick Kennedy, help him bury her corpse. He now held a knife in his hand and threatened to kill Patrick if he refused. Together, they buried Bridget in a shallow hole a quarter mile from their cottage. Afterwards, he threatened the rest of the family into silence and made them swear not to go to the authorities. The next morning, Michael and Dunn visited the local church. Michael was disheveled, tearing out his hair and weeping on the church floor. He asked to go to confession, but he was in such a state that the priest instead spoke with Dunn, who was absent the night of her death, informed the priest that Bridget had been burned to death by Michael. Alarmed and disturbed at this news, the priest alerted authorities at once, and not long after that, they were able to recover what was left of her remains the law would be coming for Michael Cleary. He had considered immigrating to escape his sentence, and even suicide. Still, he was convinced that the real Bridget, his Bridget, would soon return to him. For three nights in a row, he went to the ring fort Bridget used to visit, knowing in his head that if the fairies brought her back, it would be here. For three nights he went, and for three nights, nothing happened. Bridget never came home, and now she never would. On July 5th, 1895, Michael Cleary was found guilty of manslaughter and sent to prison alongside Jack Dunn, Patrick Boland, and four of Bridget's cousins. They were not given the murder verdict, as the judge believed that they had really thought Bridget was taken by fairies and was in danger. Michael Cleary was released from prison in 1910. Soon after, he boarded a ship to Montreal and was never seen in Ireland again. Bridget was no doubt a woman ahead of her time. Strong, independent, smart, and resourceful. She is one of many victims of ignorance and blind belief in the unknown. For as history shows us, people often fear the things or the people that they just don't understand. Her fate is one still echoed in countless stories, and in the nursery rhymes still sung by children today. Are you a witch? Or are you a fairy? Are you the wife of Michael
1: Cleary? Thank you, Miss McAdams. And you too, Captain. This has been a marvelous evening, and you chose some fascinating stories to tell. It's always a pleasure, Your Majesty. Feel free to visit anytime, even if it's before our 200-year tea party. I might take you up on that offer. This has been so delightful that I wouldn't say no to tea every 100 years instead. Maybe even sooner, if the captain will be around. <laughs> Wonderful. I look forward to it. And, Captain, if you ever need a change of scenery, you're more than welcome to join me in my realm. I will see myself out, old friend. I sense it's been a tad busy around here. I won't keep you any longer. Until next time, Queen Mab. Farewell. Well, that
0: went rather well, didn't it? Good job, Captain. Yes, yes, she's gone, Barnaby. He's not a big fan of Mab. She made him fly around the room last time she was here. He hides almost right away whenever she visits now. Yes, you were telling me about a name. The one you found in the cemetery. Belonged to a hotel clerk. Well, as sad as that is, it doesn't seem very important. One of your last run-ins with the monster was at this hotel. It was a haunted hotel at that. And many people died there at the hands of this monster? But you can't remember the name, of course. Well, I should have some books on haunted hotels. Let's get back to work. Party time is over. Thank you for joining us today at Humble Hauntings. If you enjoyed today's tale, then feel free to leave a review and subscribe to our show. Don't forget to share with friends and family as well, because after all, when it comes to exploring the unknown, the more, the scarier. And remember, my spookables, home is where
1: the haunt is.